0: Hey all, as we get into our third episode this year, we wanted to remind you that we're taking ADR on the road to talk to creators from each town in Australia. We've got a few places and faces already, but we'd love your opinion. So feel free to tweet or email us, or better yet, head to streamtime.net slash ADR. We've got a poll going where you can suggest people we should have on the show and where they're located. You can upvote the names that are there already, or you can add your own. Thanks again to Streamtime for keeping us on track and making this episode you're about to hear possible. Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy. Matt Leach can't be here, uh, but joining me is Paul Stafford and Ben Wright, founders of Design Studio from the UK. Welcome, hey. guys. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for coming. And you guys are here as part of this kind of whirlwind tour of Australia.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really just for the tour. We were kind of, um, we actually came because of uh, the big news of launching Sydney Studio. James obviously a big part of Agda as well. It was amazing what the guys have managed to do there for us. We just mentioned that obviously we're in town, we're going to travel around a little, we'll go to Brisbane, we'll go to Melbourne. Is there any chance those guys could rustle up, you know, we could do some talks? And they managed to pull it together in like a week. That's so great. it's great, it's fantastic. So we are traveling around a bit. We've probably bitten off uh, a little too much <laughs> in terms of what we're trying to cram into this week. Yeah, But no, it's good, it's good fun. Cool.
0: And you, you've done the Brisbane talk already at the time
2: of yeah. this recording. Yeah. So we did the Brisbane talk last night. It was really good. Um, never been to Brisbane before. It was really great to see, just get a little bit of an insight into design scene mm. in places like Brisbane because I don't, to be honest, don't really know a lot about the city. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting when you go, you get start to get a sense of the creative industry up there. And mm. I, I guess it's compared to Melbourne and Sydney, it's maybe not as big. But with the people that we spoke to, they're still really engaged in it, and they're kind of quite proud of the Brisbane thing that's going on as well. So mm-hmm. it was really good to meet them and get to chat with them and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah it's been quite a
0: big resurgence, sort of in the last yeah. sort of five to ten years in Brisbane. They're, yeah, doing some pretty good things. So it's cool you get to see that, yeah. that that part of it. Yeah. Um. And so what's next? Melbourne is tomorrow. Melbourne right? tomorrow.
2: Sydney. Today. Yeah. So yeah, it's
1: back to back. Yeah.
0: We've got you for yeah, like forty minutes and then you're going straight on stage, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We're
1: just trying to get bits of sleep in between, which isn't too easy. No time to sleep. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Plus jet lag. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, all right, well let's see how I go with your history here. So you guys both come from the same small town in the UK, which I couldn't find, so you have to tell me where that was. And went to university together. Uh, Worked on a few projects together here or there, but ultimately worked for various agencies and small agencies and big agencies, which I want to talk about a little bit later. And then later on in time, sort of got together and Crafted Design Studio in 2009. Yeah. Um, um, You have Feet of the Ground in London, San Francisco, and now Sydney. Cat's out of the bag during this trip, which is great. And some of the front and center sort of recent rebrands include Airbnb, English Premier Soccer League, and Deliveroo and things like that. Yeah, yeah what small town are you guys from (laughs) go for it
2: oh yeah well so scunthorpe 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 yeah it's a very small industrial town it's kind of on the same it's in the north so if you know where manchester is roughly if you go to the other side of the country east Mm. it's in the same line there so it's a northern steel town it has its charms Holes from. It, it doesn't, really doesn't have any chance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's massive, like it's one of those sounds that you people will will swap into things like song lyrics, whatever is the joke. It's the joke town, right? And you know, famously, it is it has yeah. a four-letter word in the middle of it somewhere, which people often <laughs> find funny as well. So um, there's not a lot to it, you know, yeah, yeah. nothing, really nothing. But yeah. but unfortunately, Ben and I are both from there, and so have a good relationship back with.
2: Yeah. So yeah. Um, Paul's from just slightly outside yeah, which
1: I talk about a lot the, the distance about being outside right. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> and
2: I am from inside Scunthorpe <laughs> that sounds really strange um, but yeah we met at um, when we were 16 at the college there Yeah, became friends did various kind of low-level graphic design education mm-hmm. thing but it put us on the path university and we ended up at the same university together
0: so you guys did like a communications or graphics yeah, visual yeah, arts yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah um
1: yeah we, did, we didn't know each other until we were 16 and um the, the kind of education system in the uk is usually your schools have are six forms and then you can do your kind of next level uh usually at the schools but the schools around us didn't really have it and so they had a couple of colleges and our college that we went to was actually also design was kind of lumped with those other kind of careers more like mechanics and uh, plumbing and things like that it was a non-academic college yeah the academic college was kind of on the other side which pretty much all our friends went to and we ended up at the other one but we have known each other since then and I guess we just ended up going to Loughborough together where we even shared a room for the the first year you know so um, really grew to know each other well Um, and then um, since then then just moved down to London and and we Mm. did we did kind of split and and go our separate ways but we've always you know Um, kept in touch I think we've always had um, the kind of same ideas on what design was and and Loughborough Mm. was it the the college we went to the university went to I think was good yeah uh, it was kind of giving us that understanding of like um, Mm. what design meant and so yeah we did a graphic communication degree there for three years yeah yeah but at the end
2: Loughborough was a small town again in itself had a great university Mm. but towards the end of the three years of doing the degree kind of ready to leave and we had some tutors Um, who came... We had the tutors, kind of main tutors, but then every day, every week, so we had one tutor come from London, Mm. this small design duo, and they kind of gave us kind of little insights into what was going into London and he took us down to the Sensations exhibition, which was a massive exhibition, kind of... um, late 90s um new british artists um damien hurst with the shark tank and all that and mm. i always really remember that day i was like okay really got to see the creative thing that's going in, in london just a little insight so that drove i think for both of us okay we need to as soon as we finish there's only one place we need to go and that's right so london's cool. where it's happening yeah i mean and then it then it really definitely was not that
0: it isn't now but i mean that was a hotbed of graphic design for sure at the time yeah like what is that
1: mid-2000s or like yeah. 2003 or something like that? Yeah, I mean there was the... So I, I guess we moved down to London in 2000 and really mm. digital was just exploding. Right. So there was there were companies like Deep End um, mm. that were just you know growing hugely, almost like the tech giants grow now. It was like they were like 10 offices really quickly. Wow. And then really almost as quick as it kind of grew, it, the bubble burst and then they all started <laughs> disappearing again. But there was this huge kind of surge in the agencies in London. And, and it's slightly different to here where I guess, you know, there are pockets of like Sydney has a good design scene, Brisbane does and Melbourne does as well. It's not, it's not as strong in the other cities in, in mm. the UK and there are, there are good design agencies, but it's just much smaller and much harder to get jobs. So it just seems that everyone really, if you, if you're going, if you're going to make it, it's, it's tricky. Most of the agencies, most of the opportunities are down in London.
2: Mm. Yeah. It seems to be at a time when in the early noughties, you had the advertising in Soho, but then all the designers moved to Shoreditch. And Shoreditch kind of happened where the hipster was born, and things like Vice magazine used to get in the pubs for free and stuff like that at that point in time. And so there was this in Shoreditch. There was this huge creative movement going. It was kind of the reason it ended up in Shoreditch is that's where I mean Shoreditch was really run down part of East London, but all the artists moved there because it was really cheap. Right. So the artists made it cool, and graphic designers who like to think they're artists in some way moved there as well and Mm. set up their little studios. And that's where it was born, but that's where we saw that massive surgence. Yeah. I guess the design industry in East London, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, there's some places in Sydney and I'm sure Melbourne as well where, yeah, the artists, the bohemian artists kind of went down there, converted mm-hmm. these kind of derelict places into these amazing places, and then the designers pop in. Yeah, and yeah. You know, there's all the digital agencies in those old warehouses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People for sure. used to paint. Um, cool, awesome. And so, like, what, 2009, founding design studio, what brought that about? Why? Why joining
1: joining forces together? What what were you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? Still trying to achieve. Well, so I guess I mean before that. So it was 2000 we moved down. 2009 is when Design Studio started. So I guess there's there's, there's like nine years of being in London and mm. working yep. with agencies. And um, strangely, I started working for those two guys that came up to Loughborough um, to tutor us. Oh, right. So I um, I actually started with them, and there were only two of them, and I was like employee one mm. after them. Um, so I, I started in a really small agency. Um, ben actually went to the BBC. Yep. Uh, were you working part of BBC News, I think? Yeah, working on
2: BBC News Online at the time, yeah.
1: And we, we did that for a good amount of years. And then I think I was I going to have six years. You then moved on to certain places like you worked at Saturday, at, Sin, so, uh, at Spin, so so some smaller kind of like boutique agencies. Mm. Then I went to some of the bigger branding agencies after that. Really, and, and I think we were always in communication. And it was just through that time that... I think we realized that you often had a decision to make when you were looking at what where you were going to go to next. Mm. You either go to the boutique and you kind of like apply your trade as a as a real graphic designer, mm. and you get to um you get to kind of like do the work for the love of doing it, work on things that are you know where you get to just finesse things to, to an ultimate level that because you want to you want to kind of share it with peers and put it on the blogs and uh, etc. and but it was always for very small events. And I think that was the kind of option one. And then option two is if you really wanted to put some strategic rigor and some some real thinking behind what you want to do, and like global implications of what a brand can do, you want to go to one of the bigger agencies because mm. they had these clients that were that were truly global, that you needed to have that rigor and that thought process behind it. And we just found it so strange that you had to, but you know, because the flip side of that, it was always like the design level was never the same because it was always mm. usually driven by um, a big network that were asking for, you know, this, this time is money, so you've got this amount of time to do something, and if you haven't finished it, it doesn't matter. You've just got to get it crunched and then on to the next thing. Mm. So you never got to put the, uh, apply the kind of graphic design skills that we wanted to. So it felt strange to us that you had to make that decision. Mm. And I think that's where the first conversation yeah. started.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember some of the conversations were based around, you know, if we were to have our own company, what would it look like? And I'd experienced some really hot. I was going to say horrible, that's a bit extreme, but like frustrations as a designer where you would come up with a design in response to a brief that was on a bit of paper. You don't know where that brief was really generated from. You give the design to an account director and the account director went out to meet the client, presented your work, and then brought the feedback back and gave it to you. And it just, I I kind of accepted it as a junior designer that this was the way, but then... Mm. It became really infuriating, and then those odd chances where I actually got to meet the client—it made a huge difference. So one of the things when we were talking about what this, what we wanted this to be, I mean, we're both designers, both trained designers. We wanted design to be right at the very forefront of meeting the clients, winning the business, talking about and formulating the brief, and then presenting their work. It just felt alien that there was this kind of old world and i think it's kind of legacies back to the advertising kind of account director style um, of agencies where account people represent your design work and they would only have the dialogue about the brief with the client so we wanted to strip a lot of that away Mm -hmm. when we were talking about what this was going to be what type of agency was going to be
1: so i think the thing we started realizing was that and i think it's much more accepted now but it wasn't really then was that I think you saw yourself at that stage as a graphic designer. you were there to make things aesthetically nice and solve problems to a degree but it was more kind of like how things fit in there, what's the functionality and then you know down the path of UI and UX in terms of product et cetera but that was kind of where design was in terms of problem solving and mm. I think, now it's much more accepted that design thinking is actually something that can apply to any part of any business and i think that was what excited us as well is that you know we need to start using design to solve bigger problems like strategy as well should have design in place like it's fantastic the strategy is there but designers need to sit alongside to understand that What's the context behind this strategy and even input into it? Uh, And I think that's what you're seeing now with big businesses, that they're actually having design level thinking, you know, on the kind of C-suite level. They're bringing in to have real board level kind of like design understanding and brand thinking, which is before, probably when we started, especially in 2000, that would never have been considered. Design had its place as a kind of function in a business, but not at the top helping make decisions. Yeah. And I think that's what's great. And we, we kind of understood that. certainly the pioneers of that but actually I think we had that feeling when we were building Design Studio Yeah, and it just so happens now that the world's kind of understanding that as well
2: yeah essentially I think what we felt was why is it only the big network agencies that get their hands on the big rebrands mm. and deliver the big rebrands why couldn't um, smaller agency do that? do that what was preventing them but then why <laughs> didn't some of the big agencies actually appreciate craft and design and design thinking why were designers seen as like the kind of the end game Whereas actually, if you if they were brought into the very beginning, there's so much more value could be added to the entire project. Mm-hmm. So you, we were kind of seeing these big rebrands. I remember one for a massive airline. It was so underwhelming what they actually did. It was like from a design point of view. It was like, why, why is that happening? Why, you know, if you rebrand an airline, surely that is where everything should be absolutely exquisite. Mm-hmm. And it was just strange to see these big corporate, Networked agencies delivering underwhelming Brand work and using graphic design as a tool to deliver this brand work. Yeah, so yeah a lot of frustrations when we were talking about And
0: why that. do you suppose that that is do you think it's just because like over time? bureaucracy has sort of kind of worked its way in or it's just so corporate There's such a machine happening that it's a little bit paint by numbers from step by step or is there something else? well, happening? I
1: think um, I think a lot of these companies are run by operational-minded people, and that's, if I'm honest, I think that's a bit of the issue, and it's, it's difficult, it's because you have, I mean, we, we struggle with that as well, we have to be operationally minded, you know, to run a functioning business, you have to understand the operational commercial side of it, the problem is when that dictates too much, is that then creativity is seen has a very linear process that's like well this amount of thinking should get you to the answer and i think we all know if you're in the design world it just doesn't happen like that sometimes you will reach an answer really quickly as other times it's just it's not there and you need more research and you need to kind of finesse more and think more it just doesn't happen in a really like time after time um linear way so i think that's what's kind of happening it's As much as possible, and I think this is why most design agencies struggle when design is at the heart of them, is is trying to price a job properly is still really difficult. I don't think there's a real answer to it. You've just got to kind of gauge as best you can. And some projects run really well and really to budget and others don't. Uh, And I think the network agencies will sometimes run it as like they have to run it by the numbers. um, Mm -hmm. And therefore, if things need cutting short, they cut it short and then it doesn't reach the kind of level it needs to. And I think that's what you're saying with the, with the work that you've seen out there. It's like, yeah. that's what it feels like. It was yeah. cut short and it was given that amount of time and really it needed longer. Yeah.
0: Cool. And so how, let's talk about maybe the structure of yeah. how, how you guys work. So you've got two offices, now three. Yeah. Um, so how you, how do you guys avoid that,
2: that those sort of pitfalls that you've seen? Obviously, it's not <laughs>
0: going challenging. Very difficult thing to
2: answer in a yeah. podcast, but. Yeah, I mean, design studio changes every year in terms of the way that we work and it's because look, we're not businessmen we didn't create a business plan back in 2008 about what design studio should be in nine years time we didn't have a bit of paper that said london san francisco sydney it right. was you know paul and i kind of maybe slight opportunists but very ambitious and so it evolves and it changes and even if in just in the london studio the way that we work and the way that we kind of improve ourselves and we learn and if something fails it it kind of changes all the time, so it is very fluid. I guess to answer your question about the structure and how we ha- we really have focused over the years on really great people and bringing really great people in. Mm-hmm. And we realized right at the beginning if we wanted to scale, um, we Paul and I couldn't be totally hands on and everything anymore. We had to bring in great creative directors, great designers. You know, the smaller agencies there are great ones out there but the owners tend to be the creative directors and it's kind of everything goes through them and I've worked at some agencies as well where you're almost just the the vessel as a young designer you're the vessel for the creative directors opinion or design aesthetic and essentially what are we gonna do with Helvetica today I remember being (laughs) uh, a comment and it was like this is I don't really understand what that that means but um, that was something that was put on me as a young designer so for us we realized that throughout the whole company we needed to have great people and everyone in the company needed to feel um, they had ownership mm. of the work themselves and we look across everyone to deliver great work it's not just Paul and I sat there directing every single piece of work um, hopefully people testify to that but even the young designers you know the juniors or the interns come in we expect them to So at least be in the room when they meet clients to hear client feedback. And I know that can be quite intimidating for a young designer, but I think we wouldn't want it any other way. And when we have our critiques and our workshops, the young designers, we expect them, and it's, again, quite intimidating to put work on the wall, to have an opinion. And and by breeding that culture, that's why I think we can scale because everyone has an input. It's Mm. not just the concept of two people, two egos. It's actually everyone has an input into delivering the work. And do you, obviously you kind of finesse that sort of culture
0: over time with, with people, um, but are you finding that maybe students or juniors, maybe even, even sort of mid-level people are coming in from other agencies, you sort of have to retrain them a little bit? Are they coming in with those sort of soft skills, those interpersonal skills, communication?
1: Um, no, I think, if I'm honest, I think um, there's amazing talent, especially in those junior and, uh, levels at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. If someone comes from another agency, um, I think... The, the way we kind of phrase it is that I think there's still, there's still stuff to learn. We're not, we're not the, the kind of defined article at Design Studio. And I think we say that every 12 months we feel like we're slightly different, mm. but we feel sharper in terms of what we're doing. We're kind of, we're refining still what we're doing. It's not the finished article. Um, so when someone comes in from another agency, you know, we don't want to kind of dismiss, right, forget everything you've learned. <laughs> yeah. you know, some yeah. of that stuff will be great and some of that stuff will help us and we'll learn from them. I think the thing we always say to people is, um, we're not broken. And what we, you know, I think sometimes, especially when you bring in senior people, they, they feel like they're coming in to fix something. Right. Because right. I mean, I've worked here and we have these processes in place that work fantastically. It's like, well, design studio works. And we might mm-hmm. not be able to define everything to the degree if some of those agencies have been around for 30 years, but there's a magic to us that the clients love. Mm-hmm. So we can't lose that. So we're happy to kind of learn from them but don't try and like just destroy what we have and fix it. And so that's what we try and mm. say. So we try and kind of find that right level of taking the great stuff that they've got, but kind of molding it and kind of uh, with, with the kind of magic and the spirit that designs you've got. Even if it's a bit rough around the edges, what we're doing, if it feels right and the clients love it, then we shouldn't dismiss it just because it doesn't work to a really refined process. It's like a really good kind of soundbite for advertising for juniors, I think. I think yeah.
0: everyone yeah. just listens to that going, oh, yeah, I want to get my hands dirty and work on yeah. some projects like yeah.
2: that. Yeah, we expect more from the juniors, if I'm honest. It, they, yeah. We expect the juniors to. Uh, scare the shit out of us. Sorry, can I swear, can swear on swear oh, okay. Well, yeah. Scare the shit out <laughs> of us. Uh, no, that, but essentially that's what they're there for. If the juniors come in, and they're underwhelming. It, I mean, it's like, okay, you really need to. You've got the platform. It's yeah. like you've left university where everything is kind of all conceptual and there's not the kind of the commercial restraints. So carry that on. Don't kind of. And it is intimidating. I do get it because I've been there and like putting your hand up and saying an idea in front of. People that you really respect and how is that going to feel but that's something we really want to coach out and the juniors and I said the interns and the juniors have that responsibility to come up with the left field ideas with the and then the more senior people the creative directors can kind of like channel that and make it the thing
0: cool. so, um, let's get stuck into some of these projects I'll, I'm gonna throw it back to you guys because I've got a couple that I'm interested in hearing about but is, let's work backwards for absolutely no reason what's 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 like some of the most challenging projects you've had maybe the last kind of
1: two to three years something i can't find from your website <laughs> well, it's difficult to say i think i think if i'm honest a lot of our projects will have challenges uh, but they're so different and some of them will be huge That i think the biggest challenges if i'm honest are when there's not complete buy-in from, from a business to, right. to, to do the work. That's, that's the biggest challenge we come up with again and again and again. And so quite often we will meet with brand managers, marketing managers, et cetera, and the project's brought in at a certain level. And mm. one of the first meetings will be, yeah, we're running this project. The CEO's agreed to it, but it hasn't uh-huh. bought into it yet. You know, he's very and usually because it's a very operationally-layered business, as, as I kind of said. So they're, they're very interested in what's the ROI on this. I think brand, is still so difficult to, to, to instantly show ROI. It's not advertising where we mm. can put something out there and see the metrics and see how many much traffic is driven back to something. A lot of brand is still a very emotional kind of thing and it takes mm. time. So with some of those projects that I'm sure we'll talk about later, a lot of it has taken you know a good year or so for people to really start feeling differently about those brands and to start picking up on you know how we've tried to show them that this, this brand's different, how we've moved the brand on, how we're trying mm. to change behaviors. It takes a long time to adopt. So it, it's hard to instantly prove something with with metrics on brands. So I think the most difficult projects we have are when a CEO is skeptical, hasn't bought into it, mm. and the first thing we have, the first challenge we have to do is kind of get them to kind of buy into the project. If a, if a CEO especially or or founder of a business or big stakeholder isn't bought into it, it, it just usually turns into a car crash of a project. right because it affects everything like creating a brand is something that affects every single point of a business it isn't just the logo it's not just the color palette or a change of font it's not just the ui on the product it's absolutely everything that that company does how it acts it's how its culture is it's how they bring in and engage employees it's how they talk to customers it's how that first customer who walks into a store kind of is greeted when when they walk in that's the brand and so that has to be fundamentally something that the CEO of a business or or the founder of a business believes in because it's affecting everything and that's their Mm. role. If it's that big a deal, that's something that has to come from the top. So I think the biggest challenges have been with businesses where the skepticism has been so much that it's been impossible to win them over. Right. And I think if I'm honest, when we're looking at projects, it doesn't matter how shiny the client is, if we feel that we're never going to get that buy-in, it's probably not worth doing. Right. And so it comes to that. So I think, Throughout that, we've, we've had a few, I don't want to name names of people, but there's some yeah. that have yeah. probably started like that and have been convinced. And I think some of them are really successful. And actually, you can see that the CEO is bought into it so much that then those projects usually run on and those relationships run on for years. And you end right. up sitting in, in kind of interviews for, for, for members of staff because they really value your opinion on, 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 the, on lots of different decisions. Mm. Um, and they're great if they're going to buy in. But that's probably the biggest difficulty I think we have in general
2: yeah yeah no I think so I was just thinking that we do love a challenge though as well Mm. it's like yeah there are really challenging projects and there are some that I can think of where we've one really stood out in my mind where it's like you know we knew it was going to be challenged it just didn't work out and uh, we actually called it quits going in uh, maybe two or three weeks into the project Um, but in terms of I guess the way we think sometimes is that we're never scared of a challenge you know if And as Paul said, it's not about how shiny the client may be that may already out in the real world, but if there's a challenge that really excites us, that's, that's amazing for us to get into. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, for me, I've always felt that, um, designers and design thinking is a really strong process to overcome challenges. And I guess one thing that I've said a few times over the years that if a company came to us and wanted us to design a chair, We've never designed a chair, but and we don't have any furniture designers in our studio or any of the studios, but we could <laughs> apply our thinking, and we could create a solution mm. along that way, and that's a kind of a strange analogy, but that's why I think about it, is that, you know, these challenges, these briefs come in, and there's definitely been times where I've accepted a brief a long time ago, and it's like, okay, I have no idea how we're going to deliver this, but we're going to have great fun and great... Amount of stress in trying to deliver it and the outcomes are so rewarding and you're so proud of them mm. but that they make the great pieces of work really
0: I that that kind of echoes something that something that I discovered online when I was kind of researching you guys a lot more video maybe for semi-permanent you guys can for semi is that right <laughs> oh yeah 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 and sort of talking about con- comparing sort of what you guys do uh, compared to perhaps Studios or agencies or the old way of doing things, where yeah. there's, there's this kind of boxed kit, and you say, "This is what this is what we do. This is how we do it. Yeah. It's step from A to B, and we're going to get you to B. And then we can apply that to everything. Yeah. Like if you want us to do a, a, a chair, yeah, yeah. Well, no worries. It works for that. It works for everything. But it seems like your approach is much more obviously immersive, which we spoke about before. But you, I mean, you're talking about things that I hear service design service yeah. designers talk yeah. about. Touch points, the way people communicate, feeling, um, behavior, yep. research, all that sort of stuff. I guess that's more of a
1: statement than a than a question, actually. But <laughs> that is, is
0: that a fair enough thing to say? Obviously, you said it in an
1: interview. Yeah, it's so true. It's a local right, there's, there's a few things. So I think, I think. Um and we, we kind of these series of talks. This is this is part of the, the thing that we're talking about. Is actually we see brands sitting before it kind of gets split into the silos of what, of what its touchpoint is, right. know, whether it's digital, whether it is you know employee experience. It kind of sits before it. We we kind of have the term. We use the term a lot about meaningful difference, and that's. That's basically what we, we say we, we do for our clients. What the the magic and the thing that gets me actually excited isn't just creating nice looking things. It's actually I get so much more excited by helping a business figure out fundamentally what it is that makes it amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, the immersion is. It's about learning to the degree that we absolutely become that business. We Like I feel uh, that I, I, am, I am a mirror of that CEO. I've kind of learned the business. I've sat, listened to them. Mm-hmm. I've talked to everyone. I've talked to customers. I've, I've used the product, we've traveled to their offices, we've traveled and lived in Airbnbs, we've uh, ridden motorbikes recently, we've delivered delivery meals on bikes. We've yeah. absolutely lived the, the brand. Just to help us capture well, what is it that sets you apart? What makes you exciting? What's, mm. What is that thing that people will love you for? What are you famous for? And I think that's why I think a lot of these brands have to, to do it externally, and they can't do it with their in-house design team, because you need that, you need that ability to step out and kind of look at it to consolidate mm. that into something and I love doing that finding out what makes that meaningful difference what is that purpose for the brand um, and we have different. Pro- we have a process for doing it. You mentioned that we, we, you know, there's lots of agencies that will give a process and say, we can, we can take you from A to B, and this is the process that we do every time. So we do have a process. We just find that it doesn't fit everybody in one single way. So we have to tailor right. that process to figure it out. We just tailor that for each of our clients. Um, we start with the immersion where we go wide and learn, and then we kind of boil it down in the strategic phase to find that meaningful difference. But we just have lots of ways of doing it. That's great.
0: That's awesome. Well, let's talk about some of those some of those successful projects in the small amount of time that we have left. Yep. So Airbnb is probably the big the biggest one.
1: To now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. A minute. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think it, for us as an agency, it's certainly marked a point of transition. I mean, I won't go too much into it, but before Airbnb, we had done loads and loads of work for Nokia and Microsoft. So mm-hmm. we and we were that type of agency, but Airbnb was um yeah definitely a moment where it's like okay we were the agency we delivered a project which felt purely design studio and the reason why we set up and the conversations we had all those years ago finally came to fruition Mm. which is brilliant for us really really exciting and they and they you know they saw a whole um roster of agencies to do that job yeah i think the synergy that came of them is that they saw the kind of the Design thinking that we were talking about, and mm. how we wanted to really get to know them and the immersion processes and stuff, and they just really responded well to that. They really respected it. They wanted to be involved, and so it just felt like the relationship that delivered the work was born. Obviously, much much longer before we defined anything. Mm. So it was, yeah, it was good for us.
1: Yeah, the, the best thing about that job was that before that like, we didn't have twenty years of rebrands, and we were up against agencies that had over twenty years of yeah. rebrands. They proved that they'd done it the best thing about A B and and how the stars aligned, I guess, for isn't that was that we were working with for potentially or pitching for a company that didn't have twenty years experience in the hotel industry and had managed to create something so wow. amazing That's that it had kind of yeah. um, disrupted everything that everybody had kind of like taken for granted and, and, and was was kind of like everybody loved it and they defined this new thing. Mm. And I think the great thing was, again, the CEO and the, um, the CPO at the time were the guys leading the project. They met us. I think they saw something slightly of themselves. Just I don't want to yeah, push yeah. myself up there with Brian Chesky and Joe <laughs> But they did see that kind of spirit of, yeah, like, these are two guys. Of course, yeah. why shouldn't we believe in them? They've kind of excited us more. They've proved more. They don't mm. have 20 years of stuff, but neither do we. So it needed somebody for us to almost take that gamble mm. because it was a bit of a gamble at the time. Yeah, up until yeah. that point, we would probably pitched. Yeah. Everyone would come back with the same feedback. Oh, God, you guys were, we were so excited about what you've done. But Let me guess. Everybody loved you. We've gone with <laughs> someone else because they showed us how they've done it. In like five yeah. So it was amazing for us to, to, to have that and, and to meet Airbnb and win that job. And I think that's, that was the pivot point because after that, mm. we had the proof that we could do it. We were yeah. no longer a gamble. In fact, we were the people that were doing probably the most exciting work at that time. And mm. so that was the catalyst then for other brands to, to kind of you know, trust us again and just a
0: fantastic use case as well which i kind of want to talk about like it's it's it was clearly very well documented like i know obviously a lot of agencies do this as well but just to the degree that you guys kind of documented that process i mean the the video yeah of you chatting to you know it was a ceo yeah brian chesky yeah um you know it's like it clearly wasn't that rehearsed just sort of having a chat well, yeah like talking awesome. about the experience very candidly there was no kind of Confusing diagrams on the board, or you know, you cut in with like yeah. shots of real employees, and everyone just kind of talking about where their mind was at and where yeah. the brand was at. I just thought it was really, um, really powerful. Like, how important is it to kind of document that that process? Because you would have been
1: documenting all of this stuff long before. Yeah, I don't really. think. I mean, we it's it's just part of that immersion. So it's things that we have and how we've learned it. So we record mm. everything when we're, when we're doing the immersion phase. We are capturing absolutely everything. So the mm. films and and the kind of fuzzy that you've seen and the cutaways are actually just part of the process that we're probably presented to the client to take them on the journey of what we've been doing. So we, we document everything, but not really for us to kind of like show how we've got to certain answers throughout the process. Mm. And then at the very end, and I think this is a big difference to, to the agencies that we worked at, you know, the relationship is still great. I'm still in touch with the founders of Airbnb and we mm. still, we still talk. There's no projects that we're working on, but I still talk to them about yeah. certain things. Um, and I don't think a lot of agencies can have that. And it's because of that mindset of like, we need to win work and then get on to the next thing that I quite often I found that working at some of these agencies that the relationship would just deteriorate with those clients until the end you were just like right just get the guidelines done and let's get on to the next thing yeah all of our projects we, we, we have great relationships with the clients yeah uh, and I think I think it's something that we pride ourselves on and so when we get those films at the end that you know we're not we're not forcing words into their mouths and saying, yeah. "Please say this." That's just their honest opinion, and we've done it. I think we've done Will Shu from Deliveroo. we've, yeah, we've, um, did, um, yeah. we've done Lopo Treat well from, from Treatwell, um, and Brian Chesky from Airbnb. And you know, they they weren't rehearsed, and they're they're obviously happy to. They seem well. Maybe they had a yeah. gun to their head. I don't know. I couldn't see. No, right no.
2: I, they if you wanted time with Brian Chesky, he won't. He's a busy man. Yeah, you know, he won't take the time to come and talk about some design studio if he didn't feel it was important and wanted mm. to give his time to us as well and he had obviously had a lot of respect for it for sure Mm. so no gun to his head (laughs) by any means but I think that is testament to the relationships we build as Paul was just talking about you know that the CEO of a unicorn billion dollar San Francisco based company is happy to take the time to talk about the brand that we created
0: yeah it's fantastic yeah obviously obviously over time that experience they're just you know happy to do that which is Mm. which is great um, I wanted to talk about just pick another sort of fairly different project uh, very quickly, and then we're going to talk about what's happening in Sydney, and then you guys can get on stage and tell everybody <laughs> else everything yeah. we just talked about. Um, but um, is uh, the Girl Effect? Oh yeah, yeah. Springster. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, Springster. So so Springster was a mobile app. So um, do you want to talk us through that? And what I'm really interested in hearing is comparing a project like Airbnb to to something like this, and in particular you know I'm very conscious that there's four men sitting in this room and <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah. you know this target market is yeah for a different demographic like how that immersion process that you guys um, apply yeah um, how you kind
1: of translate it to something like that yeah well I think the thing, first thing to say is that with with girl effect you know, even if it was uh, for women sitting in this room, it still wouldn't have been for twelve to, to fifteen year old girls, and right. the, the difference is huge. So we have this we have this phrase at Design Studio, um, and it, that, that is part of our process, it, and it's the catalyst for the immersion is that we know nothing. We say mm. we know nothing about your brand, even if it's something like the Premier League. Like you know, I love football. I probably know so much about it. I still go in with the understanding that I don't want to. I don't know anything, and I want to learn everything. From you guys, because you live the brand. I want to talk mm. to the real customers, I want to talk to the players, I want to talk to the fans of the Premier League to, to really understand it and learn from their opinion and not bring my opinion to the table. Mm. And we had to do that with Girl Effect. I mean, the first thing you have to understand is you literally know nothing. Yeah. For that kind of sector of, of young women, it's impossible. And even down to not just understanding their thought processes on a local level outside of the UK, because I think it was in Cambodia and the Philippines, mm. you know, how the cultural differences were with the young girls there. But the way they interact and the way they talk with each other. So, Springster is a platform for for girls in in I guess slightly dangerous societies for them to actually have a platform to communicate and, and to kind of ask a community of mm. like-minded girls around the world, you know, to, for advice and for opinion and to actually, you know, to to empower themselves to get out of situations that they don't necessarily have to be in, but they don't actually understand if if they have that choice or not. It's it's an amazing kind of platform they're creating. Um, But one of the first things we realized is that even when we were interviewing girls in the UK, it's like they talk a completely different language to us. Right. You know, the way they interact, the way they kind of talk through their phones is so different, we have no clue. Uh, and so the learning process was huge. We were having to sit with groups of girls around the world to understand how they communicate—not just in their language, but just through like yeah. emojis, emoticons, <laughs> the whole world of what things means and the terms mm. that they're kind of like, they're creating they're their own terms. If you that think you're young and
2: hip, using Instagram, just forget it. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. the fact
1: that you're kind of like, yeah, so uh, you're using for, you know finding out which social platforms just are, are not relevant to them anymore, which right. you, literally is a nearing 40 year old man (laughs) that's what all the kids were into you Mm. just have to take that element of like knowing nothing Mm. and so it's not just with Springsteen it's with absolutely any brand you have to go in with that mindset and be willing to learn Mm. and be willing to kind of work with the right people and not turn up and be the dad at the disco and have your opinion of what's cool for kids because you will be so far away
2: (laughs) I think from a kind of a practical point of view I guess was part of your question an agenda point of view You know, you said earlier, how can two dudes, referring to us, and there's lots of men in here, how can we kind of engage and work on that level? Actually, part of the team, I think it was probably, I'd say, 80% of the team that worked on that project was female, right? And in the studio, um, we have worked really hard over the last few years to make sure we're as kind of gender equal as possible. We were. I will hold our hands up and admit. Maybe five years ago, it was weighted towards the male. Um, graphic designers all in one room listening to the same type of music and it's like this is wrong and we don't want to be that agency so we have worked really hard and, and the team that worked on there yeah we did put a really heavy female team on there to go and deliver it. and they went and did the emergence it wasn't even just designers so the project managers that were on the projects and even um, the marketing our marketing manager she, um, she was on the project as well just to kind of bring it in the immersion stages just to make sure we had that kind of Gender representation, for sure. Mm. But um, yeah, we've done, I think, a lot to try. We're not, we're not totally happy where we got to, but we're working really hard on it. To
0: well, I'm sure it's an ongoing thing. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, and totally. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, do we have time to talk about Premier League? Uh, I yes, so I yeah, think. yeah. Cast okay. the the man, <laughs> James giving yeah, us the nod. Right. Yeah, we're cool. Yeah. All right, tell us about the Premier League <laughs> rebrand. I mean. I guess from looking at it from the outset, knowing not much about this particular project behind closed doors, this is a challenging brief. There's one thing that people in the UK are passionate for from, from yeah. you know, stepping back, it seems yeah. to be football. Not only are you rebranding, you're re- almost rebranding every, every club in a way. You know, it's, the trophy has to reflect yeah the the logo and the branding and the message that's that's created i mean that from start from scarves to an app to Mm -hmm. you know what it looks like on the stands and what's painted on the field yeah um huge huge project can you just tell us a bit about the the process of that and where do you begin yeah (laughs) Yeah. start kicking the soccer ball around
1: uh, I think you go back to when we launched Airbnb, the kind of backlash about the symbol was was huge, and uh, we, we were aware of that, because we'd done this global validation work to kind of t- test it, and some of this had come back, and we prepared ourselves right. for the launch. We prepared ourselves because any launch, and sites like Brand New are, are great at kind of helping with this. Um, we'll, we'll kind of, you're gonna get a backlash on yeah. day one. Now, when you're working with something like you're saying, like the Premier League, which literally people in England will put, there's posters that will say Premier League kids, wife, in that order. And it's, um, right. you know, it's <laughs> like whatever we knew, whatever we did to this brand, there's going to be a huge backlash. And yeah. we not changed a thing, but changed the color by 1%. People are going, go, why did they change that? That's not... So we, we were prepared for that from, yeah. from day one. So the first thing you have to do is make sure that every single decision you're making is backed up and you understand why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the same thing you learn you, you, I had you know, as massive fans of the Premier League try and forget everything and learn new from like how they were working internally to the, the great work that they're doing around the world in developing nations where they're investing in schools etc to understand that side of the Premier League mm. But then understand, you know, the fans' opinion. So we had a huge fan panel that I think there were I think there were over a thousand or maybe two thousand fans that we were kind of like talking with throughout the process. Not in the, the same day. room at the same time, obviously. No, no. I mean we had to, we had tools to, <laughs> to kind of like communicate with them. But we were asking them questions, you know, because when we did change even the logo, I guess, which is the, was the big talking point, that's the thing that people really see, um, we were asking them, what is sacred? What is important about this? What does it represent? I mean, it would have been very easy to say, well, you know, I think one of the things in the original brief is that the lion's very difficult to, to, to kind of use at small sizes, because it's you know very intricate. And actually, the TV guys were saying, yeah, and a lion's really hard to animate, so can we get something simpler? So could it been easy to just get rid of the lion and just put a football on there or something? oh my god when we talked to the fans 90% of them came back and said the line is absolutely like has to stay it's something that represents the Premier League it represents the kind of English football and it nods back to the FA which is where the Premier League was founded so had we just kind of gone on the opinions of what's easier to implement and use mm. phew, would have been drowned from the day that we launched it so yeah, we, it, was, it was a tricky one, but we had to make sure that we had, when we launched it, we could give all of the answers that we needed to give of why decisions had been made and that the fans had been taken on the journey. Still, there was a backlash. Of there, w- there would always yeah. be, yeah. but um, always. Yeah. that's the thing. As long as you have all of the kind of understanding and you can give the reasons to why, you'll see slowly over time, people start to embrace it. It's exactly what's happened now. No one talks about the old mark and the old Premier League and what it used to look like. Uh, and I think really what's nice is they don't talk about the new Premier League as, as an identity. They're not talking about that anymore. Um, and again, the bigger part of our work was actually helping the Premier League understand the message they needed to tell, which was the negative um, understanding that they were all about money. They were just like right. mining their pockets, getting richer, putting more money into the players and not into anything else. And actually, what the Premier League are doing are kind of like funding lots of, as I said, developing nations programs to help disadvantaged children, et cetera, and funding all the schools in the UK. That's the story that they weren't telling. So we've shifted mm-hmm. it to say, well, actually, you need to acknowledge that everybody makes the Premier League what it is, and they are doing that. And I think people are starting to sense that there's a bit of a shift in what the Premier League are doing.
0: Okay, cool. These me to kind of a bit of a follow-up question, which I was going to ask about Airbnb too. Is you know, at what point does the project finish um, and you sort of let go? And have you let go of a project before and just sort of seen some things that have ha- that have sort of happened over time? Just like, oh, don't do that.
2: Yeah, I think. Not, not naming any names. Of no, course. not naming any, I mean, obviously as designers, you hold things very dearly. And that's ha- what you've just described has happened actually throughout my entire career at some point. But <laughs> we do work with people um, and brands beyond the delivery of the guidelines. Right. So, I mean, with all our major brands, we've actually Done a lot of delivery work ourselves to ensure that the first things that go out there they do feel well they are the representation of the brand and the identity that we created but yeah i mean it's painful when we see it and it we do we still see it now we're just like what are they doing with that and Mm. but generally i think i'd like to think that we create a strong enough kind of meaning and a strong enough identity based on that meaning and the tools for people like Deliveroo to scale Mm. Huge speed to actually still remain consistent and still use the brand or the identity in the way that it was intended to use. So I think that's the challenge that's kind of baked in in the beginning, and we do we do bear that in mind when it comes to what is this going to be like in the real world? Because we're re- we're we're realists in the fact that you know they these companies have internal design teams. Airbnb's got a huge internal design teams, so of course they're going to interpret it. But we try to stay close, and especially in the early days, we continue to work with them on different projects to kind of to bring it to life in the right way.
0: Cool, great. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so I want to talk about Sydney. Yeah, we've got great. James,
1: James, patiently
0: sitting here, yeah, He's sitting silently <laughs> inside, yeah,
1: waiting to be announced. Say hello, James. <laughs> hello. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, good to, it's good to finally be able to say something.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, so we've got. So I guess what, why Sydney? Why now? Um, you mentioned before you never you never had this kind of business plan. Sydney was never a a sort of pin on this timeline and we finally made it. So there's a little bit of happenstance for sure. I think it was purely
2: because the weather is so bad (laughs) in England (laughs) for about five months of the year. We needed somewhere else to come for another studio.
0: Just a good business expense
1: just to fly to Sydney. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The only reason. Uh, I mean, we've, we've, we've been, um, we have been approached a number of times from clients in, in Australia. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's always been difficult because of the time difference to kind of really service those clients to to the level that we'd expect. You know, we've worked all around the world. We've been working this year in in, in India and Buenos Aires, but it's, it is, it is that few hours further that makes it quite difficult to, to really offer clients like the full design studio, um, process Mm. here. But also I think one of the reasons we looked at Australia was that, um, aside from there being exciting project that we couldn't fully fully kind of service, I think, we look for spaces where where there are exciting brands and there are exciting companies and there are ambitious brands and ambitious, and ambitious leaders. So London was great; that's where we started, and we started working with with really kind of like ambitious companies, which is fantastic. Airbnb came along, and 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 obviously San Francisco, you know, and Silicon Valley. There's so many kind of brands sitting out there that just you know trying to change the world, trying to change the way people do everything, and we knew that we needed to sit close to those brands as well because that's the exact spirit that we're trying to kind of align ourselves with. And I think when we were looking then for our next step, we were looking, well, where's exciting? Where has a great balance of like really exciting companies, like brands that are really trying to do something, but also has that pool of good creative talent that means that we're going to be able to kind of build a team to service those clients. And that's important as well. And that's why I think... um, Australia was, was, was really kind of interesting to us. And then Sydney, I think the more we looked into it, and then of course coming over and, and scouting things yeah. out on that level of semi-permanent last year, I think it became almost like a natural next step for us. Right. Um, yeah. So there's kind of a number of reasons that aligned. And then the, the biggest thing for us was how do we make sure it's representative of a design studio and not just a, a shop front for, for, for London and San Francisco. And that's where James came into play, finding someone that 100% is a, a design studio person.
2: Yeah, I mean, James worked with us for about four years um, before he came to Australia. And so he knows the culture at Design Studio. And that's incredibly important for us when we, if we're to open up another studio, that it's not just, it needs to be independent. It needs to have its own kind of voice and do its own thing. But it's, you know, the reasons why we started Design Studio all those years ago are still really kind of relevant. And the way that we've got, the way that we work is still we need to adhere to them and hold on to them. And I think James, we're really confident that with James being here, he can actually bring a studio to life in the way that we expect it to come to life or want it to come to life. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited, really excited, yeah.
0: James, do you want to jump in? Do you have anything, uh, anything yeah, like no, you mean, have to. I think
3: right. it's, you know, to Paul's point, there's, there's, there's always a conversation about kind of consistency and process. And even the way that we think about the way that we work with clients, there is a design studio way but I think it develops depending on who we're talking to and who that relationship is with. And for me, that is what is really exciting about this kind of next step to Sydney is that there are, you know, differences and subtleties between London and Sydney and San Francisco, but there is a binding culture and belief about what design can do for organisations and communities that I think is... A really interesting time in Sydney to kind of kick this off like you look at the fact that you know so we've just had our first unicorn in Canva like Mm. tech companies people are building innovative products. yeah I think how we engage those organizations those communities those challenges with the conversation about what creativity can do for them Mm. is hopefully what will set us apart here well I'm glad you're here I'm very glad I'm here (laughs) It's um, been yeah, it's been an interesting. So we've been to Brisbane, we've Sydney tonight, up to Melbourne tomorrow. Um, I mean, it's great having the guys here, and again, I think rather than just you know dropping me in here, not unsupported but linked to London, I think properly building the bridges between the three studios yeah. is what is going to kind of help us grow and succeed.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. awesome, great, great. Well in order to get you to your talk on time that is it cool awesome so thank you very much well thank you um, where can people find out more about you guys where, where do you like to play um, since we're not young girls
1: is Instagram still a thing <laughs> uh, yeah I mean the time I get to, to do that is usually kind of like prodded by Derva, who's like head of marketing back in our UK office to kind of remind yeah. me that I should probably put stuff on there but yeah Instagram is probably the only thing that I'm actually you know I don't mind kind of doing I like yeah. a bit of photography so that's it yeah. for me cool what about you Yeah, Instagram.
0: Yeah, that's it. Pretty much that's it, really, yeah. Just the studio account? What's the handle so people can find out more about
3: you guys? At underscore underscore design studio underscore underscore. Yeah, we had one of the benefits (laughs) of having such a generic, (laughs) yeah,
1: is that it's hard to find. And then I think I'm DS Paul Stafford.
2: Yeah, Yeah. God, yeah, I think I'm Ben Wright Design Studio. But yeah, Ben Design Studio. It's all on our website, design.studio. We've got a new website as well at the minute. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, we'll link, we'll link that too. It's just design.studio, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: That was, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's good. good URL. Well done. That's fantastic. Good luck with the talk. Thank, um, you. thank you. Thank you for coming along, Paul, Ben, and James. And uh, you can listen to this episode or more at ausdesignradio.com. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. Cheers. Cheers.